And welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library, three games at a time. Usually, we play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And uh, we got... um we got two more games today. Uh, you know, in the intro, I keep saying we do three games at a time. Usually, I don't even know if that's true for 1993 so far. I feel like we've had more episodes where we've had two games than three. Yeah, uh, I think we need to check the tape for that, but I, I think you might be right. There's just been a lot of situations where it made more sense to break it up into two per episode, and uh, that continues this week. We got two games. We've been finding all these strange little like commonalities between the games in any individual week. Today I think we've got two games that are adaptations from from other platforms that have ended up sort of radically different on the Super Nintendo. One of those I might say for the better and another one I might say uh, for the not so great. We'll get to it, but I'm you know, in, in agreement with you on that. We'll see how that unfolds, though. So what, what do we have today? Today, we have got an arcade adaptation, Sonic Blast Man, and what an adaptation it is. It basically turns it into a completely different game. We will talk about that in just a moment. We also get the TurboGrafx CD conversion of Valis 4, which is uh, Super Valis 4, and um, let's just say it's maybe considerably less super than the game it is adapted from, but uh, again, we will get there. How about we just um, we just get right into this? I'm going to put on my boxing gloves, and I'm just going to start punching things. <laughs> Yeah, remember to put on your weird, bulky armor that looks like it's got, like, the frame from a CRT TV on it as well. Get your weird 90s electronics-themed super suit on, and uh, let's get ready to save some people by punching the thing that might be threatening them. It's Sonic Blast Man. <laughs> I love the style of this game. I absolutely love the style of Sonic Blast Man. I love how absurd this whole thing is. This whole thing feels like a parody of the sort of comic book superheroes that were in vogue at the time. Like just the the overdrawn, overproduced, gritty superhero who's just way too powerful for their own good. No, it's it's very funny, and I think that it works, whether you're looking at it in an American or a Japanese context, I think there is a thing in either of those places at this time that, that this works really well as a parody of. Sonic Blast Man, he's a big, beefy man, and he's gonna punch things. That's his whole deal. Is there a giant robot crab attacking your city? We're gonna punch it. Is there inexplicably a skyscraper that bad guys are launching an entire military strike on the surrounding city from? Just punch it. Is there an asteroid? Just punch it. Is there a baby about to get hit by a truck? Just punch the truck. Don't worry about saving the baby. Just punch the truck and everything will be fine. I mean, on the plus side, he probably made the right choice in deciding not to punch the baby out of the way, <laughs> you know? But it seems like he could have done something other than just, like, completely decimate the truck. Because uh, that, that driver is dead now. Uh, yes, That yeah. driver is, is extremely dead. When the only tool in your toolbox 
is punching, every problem begins to look like a thing that needs to be punched. So let's talk about the history of this game. I don't actually have a lot about this one. This was another uh, Taito arcade game. We've talked about Taito quite a bit, so, you know, there's not really... A lot we need to go into there. Calling this a port of an arcade game might be underselling it a bit because the main mode of this game, which is a belt scrolling beat em up, is new to this version of the game. In arcades, this game was nothing but the bonus stages, or what are essentially bonus stages in this version of the game, but you didn't control it with a button and D pad like you do here. You played the arcade game by physically punching a padded sensor of some kind, and then it would calculate how hard you hit it, and that would translate to how many points you got and how badly you destroyed whatever it is that you are punching at the time. It's basically kind of a, essentially a carnival game. Yeah, you've got like five different stages, each of them with a different thing you have to punch. We've kind of alluded to that a little bit, but you know, there's a mugger that's that's trying to to rob a woman. That's the easiest stage. There's a giant mechanical crab. There's a truck that's about to hit a baby. There's uh, a skyscraper for some reason. And uh, the, the hardest level is an asteroid. You get three hits on each of these uh, and you're you're scored by how hard you hit basically, to determine the amount of points you have. And that's really the arcade game. It's very funny, but there's not really much at all to it. So I can see why they thought if they were going to turn this into a home video game and expect people to pay for it, they needed to put a little more meat on the bones. I would say they put a lot more meat on the bones because you've got five stages of beaten up dudes and aliens and weird sewer monsters. Yeah, different dudes in each stage, which is kind of impressive. That's not a thing you often see in beat-em-ups, where each level essentially has its own completely different set of enemies. As Sonic Blast Man, you've got mostly just punches and kicks at your disposal. The animations for Sonic Blast Man are pretty good. Like, you really get the sense that he's just a guy who can really just beat the tar out of just about anybody with one hand tied behind his back. He'll do things like grab enemies and then just like pick them up with one hand, shake them around a bit and throw them across the screen. I think that there's some interesting ideas here, like the whole conceit around controlling the space. Yeah. You attack enemies a lot by throwing other enemies at them. Like in some games, you know, that's just kind of like a, a nice little thing here. It's almost the primary mechanic. It's almost the primary way in which you're going to be attacking a lot of enemies is throwing other enemies at them. Right. Because basically any like simple attack combination that ends up with you grabbing the enemy and able to throw them. And if you don't do that, then, you know, these fights can take a long time to get through and it's pretty easy for the enemies to kind of circle up around you. So yeah, you really do want to be throwing enemies at each other as often as possible. And I mean, you know, even by the time you get to like the very first boss in the game he is almost impossible to hit if you're just using your punches you have to use the endless spawns of kind of grunt enemies to as essentially as projectiles to to hurt him the game clearly intends for this to be what you're doing idea that just going up to an enemy and just trying to punch them often won't work. Even regular enemies start uh, being able to pretty effectively counter 
those basic attacks by stage two. Like there were the, the, the Kung Fu guys in stage two who were pretty good at just kind of like ducking back and then kicking me if I just tried to come right up and punch them. Really, it seemed like what I was meant to do was to maneuver around them in such a way that I could make contact with them from, you know, above or below. Just coming right at them straight on rarely worked in my favor. You also get some enemies that aren't affected by your big wind-up punch that usually concludes a, a combination of attacks. Some of them can just block that. Some enemies will try to grab you and you can shake them off and then grab them and throw them at other enemies. Uh, some enemies have projectiles. Some enemies can hit you while you're down, which I felt was kind of cheap, because I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, I don't love that. I couldn't really see a way out of that. The one thing in this game, actually, that I was sort of annoyed by and never really found a decent use for was he has a move where he just like sort of sticks his arms out and like spins around to hit everything around him. And that can be kind of good for clearing space, but it also leaves you dizzy and unable to to move afterwards. And I never really found a situation where that was worth it. It never felt worth it to, like, be incapacitated so that the enemies could get a hit in on me in order to, to do that move. Yeah, I felt like that was an attack that maybe would have been better, like having a cooldown before you could use it again in order to prevent you from just spamming it. Yeah. I think that would have been a better mechanic for that particular move. There's also the dynamite punch where he just punches the ground and it's kind of a, a screen clearing attack, but you only get three of those per life, which, you know, that I thought was fine. I, I think it would be a little bit too cheap to just allow the player to keep doing that over and over again. Even though that's honestly the only way to beat some bosses is by spamming those, from what I could tell. So, in fact, the instruction manual for the boss for level five, the instruction manual actually just says, yeah, you're going to need a lot of dynamite punches to kill this guy. We we did not program this with any sort of strategy in mind, apparently. There's a kind of strangely like off-the-cuff feeling to this game, where it feels like they kind of just put a bunch of stuff in here and, and didn't think too hard about balancing any of it, which is kind of fun in some ways, but it also does mean that there are situations like that where they're just like, well, you can get through this, you just need to do some some pretty cheap stuff to do it. So that's fine, right? I feel like for the most part, this game is balanced pretty well. I just think it's those little oversights, like not really having a clear strategy for some of the bosses or, you know, some enemies that just seem to be able to get into a an animation loop that makes it very hard to attack them. I think it's it's those little missteps that, that really stand out because the rest of the game does feel pretty well balanced. Yeah, it's pretty solid for the most part. One thing that's kind of, I think, worth noting about this game is that the sprites in this are very large. Like, I would say a decent bit larger than the sprites in any of the other beat-em-ups we've played. But it still basically works. Like, it's still... Like, I never felt like the screen was, like, too overcrowded with enemies or that, like, the system was really sort of straining under, you know, being able to, to put all of these, like, big sprites on the screen at one time. I did run into some pretty massive slowdown at times. Okay, you you got further than me, so I can't speak to all the parts of the game that, that you played. By the time I got to level four with all the robots, I, there were some times where the game was really slowing to a crawl, and that was a bit of an issue as well. Well, I guess uh, I kind of retract what I said, but I still think in terms of like the gameplay, I think that big sprites like this could be a problem for like making it manageable 
to even just like sort of play part partially because of how much of this game is about sort of controlling the space uh i don't think that was as big of an issue here as i i might have expected it to be for the most part it was pretty good there, there wasn't a lot of sprite flicker where things were just straight up disappearing for long periods of time or anything like that it was mostly just some slowdown in areas but yeah, yeah the sprites are very big and pretty good looking um i was really really impressed with the enemies in stage three those are the goo men right yeah these glowing semi-transparent monsters that looked really cool and really impressive i thought those were really neat and i was like oh i want i want to see toys of these i want to see you know like semi-transparent plastic yeah glowy toys of these things right here that the system utilizes mode 7 well in the bonus stages where you see you know like the, the big guys right up in your face because it's a first person perspective as you're punching all these various people and things and just to to be clear on that uh between each of the beat em up levels you essentially get to play one of the levels from the arcade game and just like in the arcade game you can still select which one you want to do for for each uh for each bonus stage so the arcade game like a full adaptation of the arcade game is in here it's just sort of peppered in as as kind of a reward for for getting through what is really the game's main mode which is the the beat em up you know belt scrolling brawler yeah and i mean they suffer a little bit here just by the fact that they're more of a Mortal Kombat test your might sort of thing than they are like an actual physical endeavor like they were in the original arcades. But there would have been no way for them to translate the thing you do in the arcades. So I think this is a pretty decent compromise. And I'm glad that all of that wacky stuff is still front and center here the same way it is in the arcade game. Yeah, agreed. One thing I'm not as crazy about, this is another one-player brawler, which is probably why it does run as well as it does, because they didn't have a second player in there. Yeah, that is true. There's only one Sonic Blast Man. Though I believe the sequel will introduce more characters. At least the, the SNES sequel, I should say. Both Sonic Blast Man in arcades and Sonic Blast Man for the SNES got sequels. I think we will actually get some co-op Sonic Blast Man down the line, which I'm really looking forward to, given that this game is a, is a pretty strong start for the series, as, as far as I'm concerned. I agree, yeah. I don't know if I've got a lot else to say about this one. I think we've really covered most of what this is and I, it's pretty fun it is pretty fun i was pleasantly surprised by this i didn't really know what to think of it for the first few minutes i was playing because my first impression was like ah geez these sprites are huge and i am getting hit a lot but once i kind of figured out what this game's whole deal was i started to enjoy it a lot and i just i do love its personality and its sense of humor i thought this was was a lot of fun and um yeah i think uh it's probably time for us to go to the list and uh, find a place for it. We've got two pretty prominent side-scrolling beat-em-ups around the middle of the top 100 here that we refer to a lot. Rival Turf and Final Fight. Which one do you think this is closer to in terms of quality? Because on the one hand, like, it does have the problem Final Fight does, in which it's a one-player belt-scrolling brawler, but it's also pretty fun and, and quirky the way Rival Turf is, so I'm I'm kind of leaning towards this being closer to Rival Turf. I think it's probably below Rival Turf, but I think it's it's more in that space than than Final Fight. Like I think Final Fight has just, for one thing, lost a lot in its translation from the arcade, and I don't think that there's enough left there 
to be as as fun as 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 this game. When we look at fi- Rival Turf, Rival Turf is right now at forty five. And we got Super Double Dragon slightly below that at 47. I think this is a good place to start mm-hmm. with trying to figure out sort of where to put this game. I think so, too. And speaking of adaptations of Taito arcade games, we've got Hit the Ice at 48. I think, I mean, because this adds so much to the game in transition, whereas Hit the Ice is obviously a much clunkier game than it was in the arcades, and it doesn't add anything to make up for that. I kind of feel like this goes above Hit the Ice at 48. I agree with that, yeah. Because, I mean, I think that in addition to just the fact that they did add so much, uh, I think in in just raw technical terms, Sonic Blast Man is a much better put-together game than the Super Nintendo version of Hit the Ice is. Okay, so it looks like it's going to be somewhere between Rival Turf at 45 and Hit the Ice at 48. So Super Double Dragon, that that's a co-op game. I think, like, mechanically there's a lot more going on, but it's, it just doesn't have the wackiness and, and, and the the, yeah. the charm, I want to say, of Sonic Blast Man. I agree with that. That's not to say that Sonic Blast Man doesn't have anything going on mechanically, but I think that, that Sonic Blast Man's personality does kind of make it something I would want to go back to before Super Double Dragon. I really like the amount of variety in Sonic Blast Man's levels. I think that, honestly, even though it, it kind of came to it from a strange path, having a, a you know a, a bonus game in between each stage is a really fun addition that Sonic Blast Man brings to this formula. Yeah, even though it's only one player, I do think it is actually a better game than Super Double Dragon. And I'll be honest, I think I'd go back to this before I'd go back to Rampart at 46. I think maybe this just goes right under Rival Turf. That sounds uh, good to me. I I think that's a good place for it. All right, so congratulations, Sonic Blast Man, our new number 46 game. And now, again... The highest ranked game. Oh, no, never mind. No, it's Sorry. not. NHL 94 is 31. I forgot about NHL 94. Our second highest rated game of 1993 so far. With that out of the way, it is now time to talk about Super Valis 4. And there's a story behind this one. And uh, I'm trying to get into that right now. So the original Valis came out on Japanese computers like the PC-88 and MSX in 1986. The protagonist is Yuko Aso, a Japanese schoolgirl who is given a magical sword, the titular Valis, which bestows upon her the power to travel to the dream world, known as Vikanti, and defeat the demon warlords that want to take it over. The original game is clunky, to put it mildly, but developer-slash-publisher Telenet was determined to make this into a franchise. They took another stab at Valis, this time with a completely reworked game for the Famicom, and the result was a game that functioned better but still had some pretty serious flaws. The game was a side-scrolling action game in which Yuko would use her sword to defeat enemies in a large and interconnected set of stages that made up one large world map. Unfortunately, the stage is connected in ways that don't make sense, and the game's incomprehensible world map is noted among its biggest flaws. Uh, Despite this, it seems Telenet was still undeterred. Valis 2 released in 1989, and this game was a huge step above its uh, predecessor. Not only did the game really start nailing down the fundamentals that would stick with the series, it also introduced FMV sequences with CD-quality audio. Such a game couldn't be cartridge-based, of course, and it was developed for the PC Engine's CD-ROM 2 system, which I believe is actually 
in Japan called the CD-ROM-ROM. That game wouldn't come stateside until much later, as Americans were only just getting the TurboGrafx-16, the American name for NEC's PC Engine, and the TurboGrafx-CD wouldn't arrive on our shores for another year. But going back to Valis 2, the sequel did away with the open world to focus on linear levels. Instead of exploration, the game centered around combat and Yuko's abilities, which now included various spells, along with her trusty sword. This game also introduced some minor RPG elements to the game. After defeating a certain number of enemies, Yuko would get an HP boost. Valis 3 would come out for Genesis and TurboGrafx CD in 1990, and those systems would also get a new version of the original Valis a year later. Telenet, for a second time, would completely remake the original game, this time using the mechanics and gameplay that was established in Valis 2. A few other offshoots and spin-offs would follow. And in 1991, Valis 4 would arrive on the TurboGrafx CD. Uh, this game sees a new heroine named Lena Bland, or maybe Rena Brand, or some combination of those two things, I'm not sure, taking up the Valis sword to defend Vicinti... Vicanti, however you're supposed to pronounce the Dreamworld's name, I don't actually know, uh, against a new threat. This game, like Valis 2 and 3, features FMV cutscenes, CD-quality music. It also features multiple characters who join your party later in the game, a feature introduced in Valis 3. Once rescued, you can swap two other characters on the fly. The game came to Super Famicom a year later, and the Senesa year after that. Obviously, the FMV sequences and CD-quality music that were possible on the TurboGrafx CD were not possible on the Super Famicom or SNES. However, it lost even more than that in translation. This game does not feature any of the other characters. You only get to play as Lena. This would be the last proper Valis game for a long time. The series would make a resurgence in 2006 on PC in Japan only as Valis X, a series of hentai games. And I'm not just saying that because it features a bunch of scantily clad young anime girls. It's actually hentai with all the weird sex and tentacles that that entails. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with hentai, but I think it's a real shame that this game that's, as we're going to talk about, that's really built on some pretty solid fundamentals. And it's one of the few games in the SNES library that features a female protagonist like, they couldn't think of anything better to do with this later on than hentai. It's disappointing. It's a very sort of ignominious end for the Valis series, and I hope there's another chapter for Valis at some point that sees it return to the kind of games that it really was. I think there's room for it. I, I think even now you could do new modern Valis game uh, in the style of these original side-scrolling action games that people would be into it. People would be excited for it. So, As for Telenet, the company that created Valis, despite the fact that a lot of their gameography never left Japan, they did leave a pretty big footprint on the industry by means of the amount of subsidiaries that spawned from the company. They formed the internal development house Wolf Team that would split from the company and end up at Namco Bandai as the Tales Studio. They also created the dev team Shin Nihon Lasersoft, uh, which worked on a lot of the early Valis games, as well as a series called Cosmic Fantasy. And they were an early studio working in optical media, which is, you know, the, the FMV sequences and all of that, other than 
say, like the folks that made Dragon Slayer, there weren't a lot of companies working in that space back in the 80s. So that's pretty cool. Uh, their American subsidiary, Renovation, uh, would end up being absorbed by Sega. So Telenet might not be the most prominent gaming company out there, but I, I suspect that just by means of all the subsidiaries that they formed and then split off and you know got gobbled up by other companies, they have maybe an almost Kevin Bacon-like quality in the video games industry that you could <laughs> connect any game to them through a you know a series of steps the roots that telenet spread out are are vast for sure they would eventually be purchased by sunsoft in 2007 though they retain the rights to telenet's catalog we haven't seen any of the ballast wielding heroines in any incarnation since then hentai or otherwise Super Ballast 4, even if you didn't know that this was sort of a heavily downgraded port of another game, I think you could kind of feel it, because this game feels sort of barren, in a way. Did you have this feeling about it? Absolutely, yeah. There were just so many times where I'm just running from one side of a screen to another and just thinking... Wow, I'm spending a lot of this game watching this lady run. Which is, a, it's a very nice running animation. I can say, I will say that. Some aspects of this did come over from the original PC Engine CD version that I do think are really good. You know, even though the CD quality audio isn't there, the tunes still sound really nice. The music sounds good. There is some very nice animation here, some good monster designs. Uh, the bosses in particular, I think, look really cool in a lot of cases. The, the second one is like a guy riding a giant like leopard and it's really good like is he riding a leopard or is like his lower body a leopard oh that's a good point i don't know actually that's a really good question he could be some kind of weird leopard centaur man nope i was mistaken he is just riding a tiger he is not actually half tiger himself although the character sprite makes him look like he does not have legs also it was a tiger and not a leopard there, there are large stretches of this game that just where it doesn't really feel like much is going on. You know, you're kind of just running across like a, a long stretch of flat ground and fighting the same monsters over and over again. Like the the second part of the the second level of the game actually is just that. It's just this long room where you run from the left to the right and the same essentially small group of enemies <laughs> appears again and again at regular intervals. So. It's strange because it doesn't feel bad to play, but it also just really doesn't feel like there's much going on. Lena's movements feel really good. She's got a really satisfying attack, which is this nice sword slash that produces like a big white sheen in front of her, which is really nice. I love that sort of thing in games because it's just such a nice, clear indicator of my area of effect for my attack. She seems very capable of handling the threats coming at her. She can also throw fireballs with her sword uh, by pressing up in the attack button. I am a little bit annoyed that sub weapons in this game are mapped with up and attack like the original Castlevania. I suspect that maybe since there is a button that goes unused on the controller that perhaps they were just straight up 
taking a, a controller mapping from the original system that was on that maybe it didn't have as many buttons as the SNES controller did. That would make sense. Um, so there is a thing about these kind of sub-weapons that bothers me a lot, actually. One of the main things in this game, apart from just navigating the stages, there are a lot of pickup of various sub-weapons that you activate by pressing up and the attack button. And these are all limited in number, when you get these, there's like a bar that displays the ones that you have in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. And you can move through that bar using the L and R buttons and select whichever one you want. But it's very easy to kind of accidentally burn these or to just like put one into your active inventory where you're using that one until you select a different one and it goes away or you run out of it. So it's it's pretty obnoxious, honestly, that they couldn't come up with a better way for you to to access these these sub weapons. Like even just having like a pause menu that you could go into to select them would have been better, frankly. Yes, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, why can't we just have a Mega Man style system for selecting these weapons when I hit pause? Like, just let me do that. I don't need to switch between these weapons on the fly. You won't, uh, yeah, I'd love to switch between characters on the fly. I'd love to have that feature back, but I don't need to like be able to cycle through my weapons and then activate one, which, you know, if I do that accidentally, I lose whatever I had activated before, which, yeah, that, that sucks. Yeah, it's just a bad system, and it didn't need to be this way. Yeah, which is unfortunate, because it really is kind of the, one of the few really distinguishing features of this game is is this vast selection of special weapon pickups. So not only does it not really have, uh, you know, for one thing, it certainly doesn't have the multiple characters that all have different, you know, kind of movement options and stuff uh, that, that the original version of this had. But it also has, I think, really very boring level design for the most part. The second stage, the the first part of it, features you kind of going uh, crisscrossing back and forth uh, across these, these sort of long hallways where you kind of run to the end of one, jump up uh, a few platforms, and then run back the other way. And that's kind of about as as creative as it got for me in my time playing this. It's a real shame because there's some interesting ideas that this game has. Uh, for one thing, you see the boss's health when you start every world, and the boss's health only starts about half full, but it increments slightly every few seconds. So you have to sort of make a decision as to whether or not you want to spend time in the levels, uh, defeating enemies, leveling up to increase your stats, and looking for power-ups, or do you want to just make a beeline for the boss and try and fight them before their energy gets too high? I think that's a cool idea, but I wish that this game let me focus more on or, or you know, was focused more on exploration and, and giving me more interesting levels to poke around in to find power ups. I mean, you can do that in, in a lot of these levels and you're usually rewarded for doing that because, like you said, there are pickups all over the place and that can leave you a lot better equipped to fight a boss, even one who's got more health than he would have if you'd just gone straight there. I think that's a really cool idea, but oh boy, these levels are so bland. There's just so much empty space, and I just feel like they should have utilized these spaces better. They did a really poor job of creating interesting 
levels to explore. It's just so much running, so much just fighting, hitting a guy with a sword, and that's it. It wasn't until like the third area of the second stage that I got enemies that were really like attacking me from above or anything like that, causing me to need to use my special weapons against them. Also, one other flaw I want to point out as far as like the weapons go, as much as I like her sword slash, one thing I don't like about it is that it seems that if you hit two enemies at once with the slash, it will only damage one of them, which was a big problem when like there were areas where they were deliberately like having two enemies come at me at the same time. So, you know, I would have to, like, duck and slash to to hit the lower one, but sometimes it wouldn't hit that one. It would hit the guy just in front of him instead, which wasn't enough to kill him with one hit. So then I've got I still got both of these enemies here coming at me. Yeah, I I thought that was that was also maybe not a great decision. And it made my character feel a little bit less powerful than I felt like she should have been. Yeah, there's there's a whole part in one of the levels where you are repeatedly confronted by a tall guy with a spear and like a little sort of spider thing following right behind him that can throw a projectile. You do have to do some like, you know, very specific targeted attacking to take out both of them in a way that I, I don't think is good. It doesn't even feel intentional. It just feels like they didn't put enough thought into how these hits register. Yeah, I feel like these levels just feel so barren. They either needed to be full of more things, more nooks and crannies to explore and more interesting and varied enemies to fight, or they just needed to be smaller. Again, it's it's really disappointing because I really do like the controls of this game. I like the way it looks. I think this game is built on just a rock solid foundation, but what they built on top of that is just so much less than what I would have expected and, and you know, what I wanted that it's a real shame. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I don't really have anything to add to that, but I think you're 100% right. Yeah. And there's also the fact that, like, uh, this is a one and done sort of thing. Like, once you lose all your health, that's just it. It's game over. There's doesn't seem to be multiple <laughs> lives or anything. Nope. You can continue, but you do have to restart the stage at the beginning. And some of these stages are long and, as we've sort of discussed, pretty tedious. So... Back when we were doing the YouTube series, I wanted to do an episode that was all about games with women as their primary protagonists. You know, not not just games that had a woman as the selectable character, but games in which a woman was the main character. And that was a really, really hard list to come up with. It was basically this game, Metroid, and I think the Rocky and Pocky series, which even that was a bit of a stretch. There's not really very many options for games with a, a female protagonist on the Super Nintendo. And it is a real shame that this one, which I think is arguably should be one of the, the best ones you can point to, is not really it's not really a great game. And I, I wish it was better. Yeah, me too. Honestly, it really is just because the animation is so good. The the primary mechanics feel right. This feels like a game that just should have been a, just a, an absolute home run. And instead, it's just kind of like, eh, it's a it's a base hit, maybe a double. And that's that's about it. Baseball metaphors, because we are sports people now. <laughs> that's right. I don't know if I've got much else to say about this one. Do you? Mm, no, I don't really. Uh, the The villain's name here is translated as Gallagher, which I thought was very funny. He's like a silver-haired, evil 
anime elf man, and his name's Gallagher. I, I just wanted to mention that. Who will save the watermelons of the dream world. <laughs> That's right. He's going to smash all of them. Only Lena Brand can do it, or perhaps Rena Bland. I don't know. Her last name can't be Bland, right? They wouldn't. It had to be Brand. There's, there's no way they intended for that to be to be bland. Well, all right. So let's see. Where does this one go? So, like, one platformer that I keep going back to is a game that's, you know, fine, but not amazing is Dino City, which I can't okay. find right now. Where is that one? Well, Dino City is actually not that far from where we were just talking about. Uh, it's number 44, uh, which we, yeah, which we put Sonic Blast Man just a couple of spots below that. Okay. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think Dino City is a, a decently better game than than this one. Sometimes I look at our list and I just think, what the hell were we thinking? Why is Magic Sword so high? What did we do? What happened here? <laughs> Sometimes we make decisions that make sense in the moment, and then we look at them later and we're like, really? We did that? Dino City, I remember having a decent time with. I remember having a, a good time with mechanics, the power-ups. Uh, I thought it had a cute aesthetic to it. But yeah, it's it's not a superlative example of its type of game. You know, I think it, it is doing what it's doing pretty effectively. This game, I don't know that I can really say that about it. There are, I think you've, you've touched on a lot of the same stuff that I like about it. I don't know, um... I would probably go down from Dino City, but I, I understand the impulse to start here. I was really expecting Dino City and Magic Sword to be lower, because I was thinking like it would go up from Dino City, but down from Magic Sword. But this is just completely messed up everything. Um, you know what? Okay, we're going to save that for another time. We're going to save that for another time. Let's let's look at uh, Musia at number 66, because I like Musia. I think it's a really imperfect game, but... It's it's doing so much right. Like it's so close to being a great game, and I think this game, Valis Four, is also doing a lot right. But I think that the things that it messes up, it messes up worse than Musia did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it's this is actually a very interesting comparison because Musia, I think, has better level design and you know, a re really kind of strong aesthetic. I think that Super Valus 4 does have kind of better controls, uh, but but it also has much poorer actual stuff for you to do with those controls. And I do think that in this form, where so much of the story has been cut out of Valus 4, from Valus 4 has been cut out and not really replaced with much of anything, I think Musia carries off its its whole premise better than this game does. I, I think that the misses are a lot further off the mark in Super Valus 4. I think overall, like, Super Valus 4 is maybe better put together than, say, like, Spider-Man and the X-Men and at 69? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I don't think that anything in, in Valus 4 is as bad as sort of the the bad parts of Spider-Man and the X-Men. Like, I think it's a much more consistent experience all the way through. Maybe this goes right above Spider-Man and the X-Men? So I, I could live with that. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't know if I would quite put this above, say, like, True Golf Classics or Arcana, either. I think that those are both better total packages than Super Valus 4 is, but... Yeah, uh, you know, I I I feel like this is a this this feels like a an, a, a pretty respectable place for Super Valus. Okay, to end let's up. do that then. So this is gonna be our new sixty nine. Nice. All right. 
Okay, so congratulations, Super Valis 4. You are our new number 69 game. Uh, right there in the middle, more or less, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. You know what I, you know, I forgot to say at the top of the episode? This is episode 50. This is episode 50. This is the 50th numbered episode of the show. Yeah, we uh, we didn't make a big deal about that because, you know, we're humble. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool, though. We've, we've done 50 of these and also some specials and some other episodes. So, you know, we've done more than 50 of these, but 50 with the numbers. Go us. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. And here's the... 50 more. Well, I mean, we probably won't have exactly double the amount of games on this list because we've done some pretty weird things here and there (laughs) with how many games we've reviewed per episode. We used to do four. Now we do three, although we've done a lot of twos. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of like only having to (laughs) research and play two games a week. Mm -hmm. Just me. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I'm not saying we're going to officially change the format again, but... I am saying that if I can find an excuse to only play two games on any given episode, I am always going to take it. Hello, everyone. Steampunk Link from the future here, and I'm going to be closing out today's episode because Emmy and I realized after we finished recording that next week is Thanksgiving here in the States, and everyone is probably going to be enjoying a nice long weekend, so we thought it would be fun to do something special. Uh, We will not be finishing up February 1993 just yet. Instead, Next week, we will have a new episode of Quick Change the Channel. Uh, We had a lot of fun doing this last time when we talked about the Street Fighter movie. This time, we will be talking about the 1994 film adaptation of Double Dragon. And I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you're looking forward to it as well. Also, with Thanksgiving around the corner, I realized that this changes what I want to talk about for Getting Serious this week. Uh, This time for Let's Get Serious, I humbly ask all of you to please stay home for Thanksgiving. Do not gather in large groups. I know it's been a rough year. We all want to see our families. I'm right there with you, but it's not safe to do that right now. Uh, This is a very serious matter. COVID cases are out of control all over the country, and each of us needs to act responsibly. Think of your family's health. Think of your health, the health of anyone you or they might come into contact with later. Socially distance and talk to your family over Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or whatever your video conferencing software of choice may be. Um, It is really important that we do this. The less out of control we can make this pandemic by the end of the year, the less likely it will be that we have to do this again for the holidays next year. But that is going to be it for today. Uh, Thank you all so much for 50 episodes. I doubt we'd have kept this up without you all listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. Uh, For Emmy Zero, I'm Steampunk Link saying thanks again. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Oh my god, I loved the attract mode for the arcade version of this game, because it features, like, <laughs> did you see this at all on YouTube or anything? Yeah, I, di- I did, yes. It's really good. Oh, so, like... In the attract mode, you see a woman tied to a railroad, like not even tied to a railroad track. She is just tied up and laid on the railroad track. And 
this guy who <laughs> drops his his burger in soft drink, I believe, to turn into Sonic Blast Man. And he goes, <laughs> instead of just, like, lifting the woman off of the tracks, decides he's going to punch the train <laughs> to save her. Yeah, and then, you ju- and then you just see, like, you know, him surrounded by, like, falling debris from the train. Like, bits of metal, bits of track. It's carnage. Like, he, he absolutely destroys this train in the attract mode. So many other people died because of his actions when he could have just easily picked up the woman. <laughs> Just got her out of arms away. 